Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Espen Fries Jensen, the co-founder of Userflow, a no-code platform for building onboarding guides and product tours. Before working on Userflow, Espen co-founded Cobalt.io, an application security platform. In 2013, Espen and three of his friends decided that they were going to build a marketplace for bug bounty programs. Companies such as Google were paying bounties to people who found security exploits or vulnerabilities in their products. And the Cobot founders believed they could build a marketplace to facilitate that process for more companies. But they didn't have any experience in the security space. However, they managed to launch the marketplace and get a few customers, but the business wasn't a huge success. And before long, they were close to running out of money until they got a request from a customer that changed everything. That one request led them to eventually pivoting and building a completely different security product. And they went on to raise $37 million and build a team of over 200 people. In this interview, we talk about how four guys in Denmark who had no experience in the security space managed to pull this off. And Espen and I talk about why this time he's going down the bootstrap path and wants to see how far they can get with Userflow without any VC funding. He's gone from co-founding a VC-backed company with over 200 employees to a bootstrap startup where with just a team of two people are closing in on a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. So I hope you enjoy it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. 
Hey there, SaaS founders. Are you looking to grow your B2B SaaS business to the first million in annual recurring revenue? I've got something that can help you. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly source of proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with successful B2B SaaS founders who have been in your shoes and are ready to share what they've learned. Each week, you'll get a quick five-minute read delivered straight to your inbox, full of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. Espen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you have a, a favorite quote, something you can share with us that inspires or motivates you? I don't have a, a quote per se, but I have a, something that was also a core value of Cobalt, uh, my previous company, and, and is, is something I live a lot by, which is called quality at speed, kind of derives from uh, maybe we all know uh, uh, kind of done is better than perfect and uh, these kind of things. But I, I really like the quality at speed because it speaks to you are, you are moving fast, but you're doing it with quality in mind. Uh, and that's something I, I live a lot by in when i build companies and and products and so on love it so we're going to talk about cobot but before we do that let's talk about your your current company userflow what does the product do who's it for and what's the main problem that you're helping to solve yeah so i'm uh, one of the founders of userflow together with my co-founder we built this product that basically allows you to do in-app onboarding uh, product tours and surveys and you can do that without using any code all you really need to do, do is install a small piece of javascript in your website and then you can build these kind of in-app guides and onboarding flows without using any code and that basically allows customer success managers product managers uh, designers to build these flows without uh, using expensive engineering time where are you in terms of revenue with user flow so we are very small bootstrap two-person company, but we are we are closing in on the one million ARR mark. Yeah, it's going really good. That's awesome. So we're going to talk about that and how the two of you have been able to 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 do that. But before we do, let, let's talk about Cobalt. That's a very different type of company yep. that you you co-founded and uh, I worked on for over seven years. So let's go back to twenty thirteen. Actually, before we do that and talk about how it started, just again, tell us what is what is Cobalt? So Cobalt uh, today is a pen test as a service uh, provider. So basically, what uh, it's, a, it's a term that we help kind of coin. It's a, basically a way to do penetration testing, which is security testing of your web app, mobile app, uh, API, or so on, your, your SaaS platform. So do a security test of that using real humans that does the testing. So people who can really mirror what a bad hacker uh, would be doing. So so that that's the service. And the way we delivered in Cobalt is through a platform. So that's why it's Pencil as a service. It's basically a platform-driven model. So you have a SaaS platform where you interact with the testers, get the results, and uh, work with your pen test and, and do data analysis and so on. Is this the same as ethical hacking or is, is pen testing different? Yeah, I would say so. Ethical hacking is basically what you do when you do pen testing. So you find the vulnerabilities before the bad guys do. So the company was founded in, in 2013. How, how did you come up with the idea for the business? 
So we are uh, we were four Danish founders who uh, wanted to start a business, and uh, we had seen what uh, Google and Facebook were were doing, uh, where they were inviting the entire world to come and uh, find vulnerabilities in their websites, and then they would pay them bounties for the findings. None of us four founders were actually in uh, security, so that was pretty interesting. But we found it uh, super. It was a time where a lot of big hacks were happening, so we were. Also finding it kind of odd that why is this problem so hard to solve and, and so on. So we, we, we saw those two trends and then we decided to build a platform that could facilitate uh, these kind of uh, bug bounty programs, as they're called, for more than just Google and Facebook. You should be able to do it if you were any kind of business. Uh, so that's where we started. And we moved uh, initially to Buenos Aires, where we kind of built an MVP in Argentina, and then we got accepted into a accelerator in the Bay Area, and then we stayed around in the Bay Area where we built out the business. If you guys, if none of you had any experience in security, how, how did you know what to build? Yeah, good good question. Uh, I think we we looked at what, what Google and Facebook had done, right? So we, we could see, okay, this is how the model works. Uh, so really what we had to build was some kind of, you know, marketplace platform, right? A two-sided marketplace platform where you have the testers on one side who should be able to submit a report and then the business on the other side should be able to accept or reject that report and pay a bounty if they accept it right so it was really um, facilitating a workflow more so than facilitating a a security kind of tech deep security kind of thing and i think we were all great at facilitating workflows and and we've used that uh, throughout building the business and i also think given we came in with a unbiased kind of view on the security industry has actually helped us a lot uh, to think out of the box and and really challenge the status quo uh, in the security industry. Okay, so you you built the the MVP and then you moved to the Bay Area to get into this accelerator. Tell me uh, sort of what that first year looked like and how did you go about turning that MVP into you, you know your final product and and kind of finding that first customer? Yeah, so we 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 got into the accelerator and uh, it was Boost VC, by the way, Adam Draper, who's the son of Tim Draper, accelerator in the in the valley, and that was an, an amazing experience, right? We were coming from another country, Denmark, and moving into Silicon Valley, uh, and and that was of course really really cool. And we we just wanted to build a great business, and we we also got some early traction. Initially, we sold to a lot of like smaller businesses, uh, especially Bitcoin exchanges was a bit big market for us back then. That turned out to be probably today it could be a good market again, but back then they were like uh, going under every day and uh, not the best market uh, <laughs> to, to to go with. And then we moved into selling more to software as a service businesses, which was a bit more stable market. So we were growing okay those uh, that first year, but it was definitely, it, it had its challenges, of course, coming from a, another country and, and having to build a market. And, and it was also our first startup. So, so we had to learn everything from scratch, right? Initially, uh, we did everything. Uh, that was a good thing about having a team of four, right? That we could do a bit of everything. So we had one building the product, one doing operations, one maybe looking for fundraising, and then I was primarily focused on the the sales and marketing piece uh, of the business. The product that Cobalt is now is very different to the product that you you started out with. 
Yeah. So presumably there was some kind of pivot at at some point. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like how, how what led to that point? Yeah. So first of all, there are of course similarities between the products we have today, but it is a much more different model and it's it's a structured way of testing when you do pen testing you do like a two-week test with maybe a group a small group of testers where the original model was to invite everybody in the world and and um, and pay them bounties right and so we also moved both from a, a more transactional bounty driven model to a more subscription driven you buy x amount of pen testing for a year but what led us to there was actually i think Two years or three years into uh, Cobalt's history, we were kind of struggling to grow more. We were growing okay in the beginning and, and growing uh, okay fast. And we had raised like a, a angel round of 1 million. And, and we had used that to grow a bit more. But we, we could kind of see as we started to try to raise our, our seed round, we, we were struggling a bit. Uh, one, with raising the round and we were getting like pushback from investors but we were also seeing that our growth rate was maybe not amazing, right? And we struggled a bit to admit that uh, because we had we did have customers for this bug bounty model, right? Uh, so it's not like the business was going uh, totally bad, but it was just not growing as fast as we expected. Uh, so we knew something was wrong. And then we actually had one or two customers who asked us, can you do a, a pen test for us? And uh, we said, yeah, sure, we can probably hack our platform a bit to do it, right? And then we saw, okay, this is, they were willing to pay like a fixed price of, um, I think like back then, like $8,000, right? Which was like, that was the biggest customers we ever had was uh, that size, right? And then they paid it all up front. So that kind of triggered something in us like, "Mm, that's odd. Why are they willing to do that, right? we we were really i would say it was that tough that we were you know like not being able to raise money not being able to really grow your business that's a tough tough time for business but this kind of eureka moment of discovering that pen testing was maybe the way to go kind of triggered something in us and then we basically decided to go all in on pen testing and then uh, with that kind of strategy in mind we were able to go out and raise uh, a seed round that kind of saved the day right and and allowed us to then pursue this um, pencil strategy that really uh, took off right we just from there we just grew really really fast and i think it was due to uh, a couple of different reasons one it was a instead of like creating a new market which bug bounty kind of was you we were tapping into an existing market that was owned by consultancies and we were then coming with the modern approach to this existing uh, pen test market and two pen testing is very much a sales driven motion uh, a lot of customers do pen testing to satisfy big enterprises they want to sell to and so on so there's like a sales driver behind it and that but bounty didn't really have that there was only the security driver and and even though i would love that security was like the only like the could be a driver on its own it's not always the case a lot of businesses are more driven by you know sales and so on so they that helped us as well right that they there was actually a sales driver as well on top of the security driver so those two things really helped us grow and and you can say that's when we found product market fit right it was we we didn't admit that we were struggling to find it back then but but we really were right and and when we we pivoted to pen testing that's where we found it and then it just took off 
I mean, I, I know you, you, you said before that you had customers, but you were also starting to run out of money as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were. You know, as a real estate company, you're always uh, <laughs> kind of the, the next round is super critical, right? Especially in a VC funded business, right? So, yeah, we were we were getting close to that and we're talking about, okay, what strategies should we do if we start running really out of money? So this came as a just in the right time for us, right? This discovery of the power of pen testing. And uh, yeah, so that, that sometimes uh, the timing is just right, right? And, uh, and we were lucky uh, or had the grit to, to also find the new strategy, right? And, and, and we're, we also took a risk, right? Because we actually lost some existing customers in doing this transition, but in the end, we gained so much more from doing it. Yeah, so I, I think this pivot was a pivotal moment, forgive the pun here, right? But I think that was a really an important point yeah, because it was. a lot of founders get stuck and don't get past this point. And you guys were also sort of there and struggling to figure out effectively product market fit. And when this so i want to talk more about this because i think this is a really interesting part of the story when this customer turned up and asked you if you could do pen testing did the lights go off immediately when you were like great yeah this is this is the direction we need to be going or was this more about great we've got somebody who's going to pay us some money and and give us a little bit more of a lifeline while we can figure out what to do with the bug bounty business like how long did it take for you to decide to figure out that pen testing was the way to take the product as well it was definitely a transition period right it was not like okay day one then we do it right it was like okay let's try to do this we kind of hack it a bit we hack our platform a bit to satisfy this customer it was a, a customer we really liked they also liked our bounty and they they said can you do this as well and then yeah sure we we want to try it out and and when you're a small startup, you you are more flexible in in what you can try out, right? Um, so I think we initially tried it out, then we did it on a couple of more customers, and in a period we started marketing kind of the dual thing, right? Like we are the pen test and bug bounty platform, but actually that didn't work so well either because that was just confusing and you didn't have like a full focus. I've always been a big advocate, and I think all the couple founders were and, and also Newsflow, like the power of focus, right? Like doing one thing really well. And I think we at some point landed maybe in a kind of like dual marketing where we had like bug bounty and pen testing because we were afraid to let go of our existing customers, right? But in sometimes we just took the risk and said, in order for us to really grow fast, because we could see that the pen test business was growing faster than the bug bounty, Let's just go all in on pen testing because then we can build a product that's perfect for pen testing. We can build uh, all our support and sales and marketing, everything aligned around that single product. And that was a super important period. So I, I think it was like a transition period of one year we went through uh, before we, we fully transitioned. Do you remember roughly how much revenue you were making at the time and, and what the split was between bug bounty and pen testing? Oh, that's a good question. Probably, I can't remember the exact numbers, like 1 million AR. But then we, you know, we started doing the triple, triple, double, double, double kind of growth numbers. I can't remember the exact number, but it was, 
it was in the lower end, but um, and the other thing you have to keep in mind, we were actually a transactional business at that point, so we didn't even count things like AR. We just counted our revenue and looked at that, right? Um, mm, yeah. And then we the, the other pivot we did was really transition into a subscription business, right? And that was another critical decision that because we could just have kept on selling pencils as a transaction, but really what we saw in the industry, and I think that was again us uh, thinking out of the box. Consultancies were think, selling a lot of this like transactionally, right? Pencils by pencils. But we saw that especially compliance and these kind of things, we're actually driving a model where SaaS businesses had to do pen testing year after year after year, right? It was not just a one-time thing. So we, with the platform, because we had the SaaS platform, we had that consistent touch point that allowed us to say, okay, yes, you might just do one pen test a year, but it's actually an annual subscription where you have access to the platform, you can get retesting, uh, Etc. Uh, throughout the year, and then it renews the next year, right? And companies that do many, many pencils, that makes even more sense, right? Because then they have that platform on an annual basis, and then they run the same amount of pencils again the following year. Um, so, so moving into subscription, as many have done, others have done successfully. We also did that, right? And that was also a pivotal moment. Then we started counting ARR from that point on. So around the time you were you were doing about a million a year, how much of that was coming from the bug bounty business? Yeah, I can't remember the, those exact numbers. Uh, I'm sorry, but it, was it was it just like was it like fifty fifty? Was it you know? Yeah, I mean, it was initially you know it was a transition period over the year, right? So it was like initially maybe five percent, and then it was like it grew, right? Pencesting just took more and more market share. And is is that how you started to see the future? Because you were seeing more and more custom this need, and and that was growing faster. Yeah, and also the the willingness to pay more for it, right? Because it actually it, it was an existing market. It had an existing price tag. It had the sales driver, compliance driver. So it, there was a defined pricing, right? Where we, as any other early stage SaaS company creating a new market, we maybe priced ourselves too low in the bug bounty space, right? I think it was like a 20% fee on bounties, right? So you both had the problem that what then happens when you stop finding stuff, right? Because when a platform becomes very secure, you kind of <laughs> you you you're still delivering value, right? Because you're te- you're technically testing, but uh, if you're paying per bounty and you're charging a fee per bounty, you and they don't find as much anymore, then you are not earning any money, right? So the business model was also bad. Uh, so a lot of things were stuff we learned, right? And then we we really hit the the nail with the you know subscription driven model, the pen test, and so on. So a lot of learnings along the way, but it was you know tough learnings. But that's what what is fun about startups, right? It's it's those kind of learnings that you do over time. So so you guys were going out and doing the selling, right, in the early days. Yeah. And when when you started to focus on pen testing, traditionally that, as you said, was an area that had been sold as a consulting service, not a product. Yeah. And so now if you're getting in front of customers, you guys don't have that much experience in security. You're probably competing with consulting companies that have been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. Yeah. What was that experience like? What did you learn from that about how to sell? 
Yeah, I think so. One, we were moving into a market where there was a high touch sales process, right? For uh, and we were maybe more in favor of a lower touch product led kind of model, right? That's what we had done with the bug bounty stuff. But with pen testing, we really saw okay, now we're competing against service companies and they have a tendency to do higher touch sales. And we were coming with a brand new model, so we had to do some education on our model. So I think we, at that point, decided to transition into a more sales-led model uh, where we did demos. We had customer success uh, for every customer. So a more high-touch, both sales and support model. And we needed to do that because of the kind of competing with with the service industry, right? Um, but then over time, as Cobol grew in, in size and, and maturity and and our model became something everybody knew about, especially in the software as a service space. Uh, and pen testing became more and more normal to do. Everybody knows what a pen test is. We also, again, started looking to move more and more product. We always kept our eye on trying to have as much self-service post-purchase as possible. right? But I think the other thing we then started to transition back towards was what can we also do um, pre-purchase right and and you know can you do a free trial can you do these kind of product-led motions for for Cobol as well so so that was a journey we started on and that i helped uh, facilitate uh, together with with our product and customer success and sales and so on and that that really also was what got me excited about user flow and that's why i decided to leave uh, Cobol uh, and i'm still an advisor there but leave my operational role and 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 join uh, userflow which is a you can say a product in the product led growth space and it's also a born product led product which is interesting yeah yeah i think that there's some interesting connections between product led and sales led and and, and what you're doing with with userflow so i want i want to kind of just wrap up a little bit on on the the story here with cobalt and then we'll we'll talk more about userflow so you're doing you're doing outbound with Cobalt. Yeah. You guys are doing the sales efforts. There was some inbound that you were also getting. The other thing was events was another part of your growth strategy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we had an amazing uh, chief marketing uh, or VP of marketing, sorry, who um, he, he had been in the security industry for a long time. So we hired him. And then we also hired an amazing chief strategy officer, um, Caroline Wong, who's a thought leader in the security space and, and uh, an amazing uh, speaker and, and thought leader. And both those hires really uh, helped us uh, also create a brand, right? We Remember, we were four Danish people, so we didn't really have a big network in in the security industry in the US or anywhere. And so they helped us create that brand in the security space. And a big part of selling in, in security is there's a couple of big conferences, uh, RSA, Black Hat, DEF CON, and these kind of uh, where you do a bit more event-driven sales, right? Uh, so event-driven marketing. And and we were really good at that due to especially our VP of marketing being really good at that. Uh, but then also for especially smaller customers, we, of course, had a lot of inbound uh, from SEO. But all of that, of course, also came from the branding we were doing to our VP of marketing and and Caroline. So you told me earlier that the the security community in the US is is 
pretty close knit, and that's not something that you guys were yeah. were initially. We didn't know we didn't know anybody, right? So we we were not even from security, uh, and and then on top of that, the the security industry is a close knit group. So I think even though we had an amazing product, we had to um, you had to get talk time, uh, speaking time, right? Uh, and that was hard for us to get as we were unknown. And I think that's where Caroline and, and Chris, our VP of marketing, really helped us, right? Uh, create that trust and brand in the U.S. security industry, uh, so we could get um, get out and speak about our product. And and when then people actually could listen, they they all liked it, right? And and that that helped us grow a bit. Uh, but yeah, that was also a challenge for us getting through the. There's so many vendors in the security space, right? So uh, you 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 really have to figure out how you get uh, through the noise. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees and their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. And to date, so so eventually you did raise money and, and Cobalt's gone on to raise, I, I think, $37 million so far. Yeah, um, in total. Yeah. And what's the size of the team? How many employees does the company have? It's getting close to 200. So they're growing really fast these days. Uh, raised the Series B in, in last year. And yeah, the company's going really well. Security has not, you know, as you probably know, security the security market is uh, keep on increasing and it's likely not going away soon. Yeah. So over 200 people at Cobalt, how many people do you have working at Userflow? Two. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the founders yeah. uh yeah so so you got you guys are closing in on your first million in arr and sebastian your co-founder at userflow were has been working on on this product since 2018 and just kind of describe what your relationship was because you you, you sort of joined full-time earlier this year, but you've been involved with Sebastian for and with user for, for quite some time. Yeah, so Sebastian is a, a, a friend of mine. Uh, he was actually a customer of Cobalt. That's how I got to know him initially. He's also from Denmark, uh, and he was based in the Bay Area as well. So uh, there's a small Danish community in the Bay Area. And, uh, how many Danish people are there in the Bay Area? <laughs> uh, I think it's actually a, more than a thousand. I think uh, I've heard uh, so. So there are a few, but uh, I, I got to know him uh, uh, through through the Bay Area in San Francisco, right? Um, and then uh, we stayed friends. And when he started working on uh, what back then he worked on something called Studio One that later transitioned into being Useflow. It was actually a, a video kind of. A platform for making videos, uh, training videos, uh, onboarding videos, but he's transitioned into this more interactive in-app guidance in 2019. I stayed very close to him. Uh, I I did this consider joining him already back then, but Cobalt was going so great, and I I wanted to help push Cobalt to the next level, and and I could still see me adding a lot of value in Cobalt then. So so I waited a bit, but but advised him from time to time on certain topics. 
And then in the end of 2020, where Cobalt had really been on this product-led journey uh, for a year or so, and I really was getting excited about it. Uh, maybe I was also looking to get back to that early stage uh, feeling again. You know, I'm a founder by heart, so really enjoy that early stage of a company. And, and Cobalt was maturing into a, a great, a larger company, right? Um, so I maybe made the decision due to those reasons to join Sebastian full time and and go all in on on uh, on helping grow user flow to the next level. So that's uh, that's the short story about that. So you you spent many years at at Cobalt in a in a very sales led environment, and then now with with user flow, you've you've gone back to product led which is kind of how you guys started out with cobalt so it's kind of gone full circle yeah and i think we always kept a bit of it in cobalt but you know we just were for we were more forced to have a more sales led model right uh, so uh, yeah uh, i think but in in user flow we're really at that I, I think which we were also in the early stage of cobalt like the true product led where you everything you do is product led right we we try really not to do sales meetings at all right and not have customer success necessarily and it's all like the product is driving the selling and the the support and the retention and so on um of course we are not negligent to our customers and we we still talk to them if needed but but it's we try to push everything into the product and that i think is what has allowed us to scale to that level of revenue without hiring anybody right because we're basically we do free trials and the customers many customers will just buy without ever speaking to us right they, they'll just go to free trial and then buy uh, our product are you hiring freelancers vendors no nothing no we've, we've had a bit of ux help from a freelancer there but that's it. it it is basically because we can manage the business just the two of us at the moment uh, and we also have this we want to try to see how it is to bootstrap a business, right? So we also haven't raised capital and we're not planning to raise capital. We want to see how far can you actually go with hiring a, maybe a limited amount of people and and uh, and not raising any capital. And and so far it's been it's been so good. So so what is it like? Sebastian's working on the product and you're focused on growth. Yeah, he he builds the product. Sebastian is an amazing engineer. He he has built other software as a service products before and also worked at Google. And uh, then I focus on the growth path and, and customer support and these kind of things. Um, so really making sure that we get more customers and, and also support the customers that we have. So Userflow is not the only onboarding product out there. There's there's quite a few around. How, how is the product different to other products that are out there? And then secondly, how are you messaging that to the market? Yeah, I think really the biggest difference, and I think that's um, what I, uh, of course, I'm biased, but but the biggest difference is we we focused a lot on building an, a fantastic UX, right? So a product that's easy to use, but yet advanced. So we have all the advanced functionality that you would expect from a solution like ours, like version control, localization, you can branch flows, you can do all sorts of uh, advanced things but we really focused on keeping it clean and nice right so so that is i think our biggest differentiator and that's also what we hear from customers is that we are that's where we win right like we we have a really strong ux so so you can say there are two buckets of competitors there are the ones that are they're simple to use but they're also very basic and then you have the ones that are 
advanced, but they're also a bit harder to use. And we really try to find that middle ground where you have something that's advanced but easy to use. How do you go about building a great user experience? And and I know this is this is probably a, a question that we could spend all day kind of talking yeah. about. But what I'm trying to get to here is that, like, I mean, I'll talk about personally from my experience. I I can like I'm always like you know, just because of what I do, I'm always like looking at different products and trying things. And for me, it's often about when I when I sign up, regardless of the functionality, there's this kind of this visceral thing that I go through to, to decide, do I actually like being in this app? Does it actually feel pleasant to use? Does it actually make sense? And in many ways, even if a product lacks some features, but kind of passes those things that I just mentioned, yeah. I'm more likely to stick with that and spend money on that than something that has more functionality, but for whatever reason, just doesn't feel right or is a little difficult to use. So what does a great user experience mean for you guys? And then how do you figure that out for Userflow? No, I, I, I totally agree with you uh, that um, UX is sometimes more important than features, or, or I would say always more important. But of course, the features matters as well as you start using the product more. If if you really lack some key integration or, or something, it's also not good, right? Then you might start accepting a worse UX just to get that feature, right? Um, but I think UX is, in my view, also the most important thing. I really don't like working with with products that are, are hard to use or doesn't give me a smooth experience. Maybe they're slow and and things like that, right? It's always hard to like put definition on what is a great UX, right? I, I think there are many elements that plays into that, right? One of them is, of course, like less is more, right? Like sometimes, you know, many, many platforms try to put a, a lot of stuff in their platforms, which, of course, adds complexity, right? And it's really about like how can you make it as simple as possible while still achieving the aha moment, the goal of, of what you want the user to do. So so I think that's how we always think as well. Like how can you keep things simple and how can you do things uh, smarter? We're looking a lot on, on our customers' challenges, right? Like are there certain challenges? Whenever we get a support ticket, we always think how can we solve that in the product instead of thinking of how can we write a a help desk article that can explain it, right? Like we much rather want to solve that uh, support issue in a, by having the product do something smarter or better, right? So, so we are we're also always listening to our customers and seeing what they struggle with, and and also do like maybe videos with our customers, seeing how they use the platform, so we can see certain things they're struggling with uh, that we can maybe make smarter. So, so we do a lot of customer analysis, but. That's also combined with a, a lot of intuition about what is a good user experience, right? And what, how would you like it to work yourself, right? And care about that, care about the quality. Again, that quality at speed I mentioned in the beginning is super important. Yeah, and, and it, it can be hard to do that the more time you spend on a product because you get used to it. And sometimes you don't notice those little things that a new user coming in might see or might struggle with. So exactly, there are great tools for that today, right? There, there are tools like LogRocket and and these kind of tools out there where you can actually see what new users do, and then you can learn from that, right? So, so I think that those are tools you can use to kind of 
learn and see what you can do better right and and then it's also not a customer saying you should do this but you actually witness the problem and see okay this is actually like a real problem they struggle with how can we do this smarter right so do you use user flow for user flow yes we do uh, very meta but yeah we <laughs> we, uh, we do use user flow and user flow and and we are very focused on so I think even though we use Userflow and Userflow, which helps guide the user, right? We are also still focused on having a great UX of our platform in general, right? So Userflow should be used for introducing people to the key kind of actions they need to do, but it it shouldn't. It, it's not a, a compromise for for bad UX, right? I think you should do both, and you should have like a good focus on having a good UX, and then have something like Userflow to do your your onboarding right uh, or guidance i think even in the most user friendly app you it's still there's still a lot of power in in guiding the user to do certain things um, especially in b2b where you just have there is a level of complexity in b2b applications um, that that you might do it in a different way than others do it and people are used to certain things and so on so so yeah it's good to have that kind of onboarding even though you have a great ux yeah i, th- I think that's a great distinction because i i mean and to me if you don't have a great ux using a tool like Userflow might help but it's kind of you're not fixing the root cause of the problem you're just trying to put a a bandage on it and and, and trying to sort of get things through whereas uh, i i think it's like user flow or tools like that are, I think are really about the onboarding that in terms of, okay, even if it wasn't there, the product is still intuitive. It's easy to use, but there's in order for them, your, your customers to have success, there's a certain pathway or steps that they should take to get there. And then those, you know, using tools like user flow can help you to take users from point A to point Z where they need to get to, but don't think that this is going to compensate for a, a crappy UX. No, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. And and I think you can actually learn a lot from building the user flow onboarding as well, because you have to build the guides. So you will see, okay, is there something <laughs> that we're doing here that doesn't really make sense, right? Um, so, so that's also interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like what you said about, you know, we, we, rather than just creating another help doc, we first take a look at and think about how could we make things more obvious or easier in the product. That's a great, great mindset to have. So let, let's talk about what you've done, what you and Sebastian have done to grow this this business. What what are What are sort of the main growth drivers here? Like, are you doing a lot of like, outbound emails are you are you kind of driving a bunch of inbound through seo where where are the customers coming from yeah no so we we do of course seo is seo is something we're always working on can we do more seo because it's cheaper we also do run google ads right to help while our seo is improving google ads is are great for like compensating for that right and then i would say we don't it's not like we don't do any form of outbound we do have some outbound like email campaigns uh, linkedin uh, networking and so on um uh, but other than that we do a lot of uh, thought leadership so we try to go out and talk a lot about product-led growth SaaS onboarding uh, to really create a brand around that. It's also big trends these days. And, and we also speak to the whole no-code trend that we also play into. As we do a lot of thought leadership, um, it, of course, helps that I've founded a company before so I can 
use my voice this time, which uh, I have a bit more voice now than than I used to have with, with um, in the early days of COVID, right? And and then we also are listed on a number of like the G2s, the Capteras of this world, right? That's also a great channel for us um, where people leave reviews because that's a good place to spread the word of mouth. And and that's the fifth thing I really want to mention is word of mouth, right? It's That's essential for us. We, we focus a lot on building a great product so people will talk about it to their peers and share the word, right? And that's really how we see ourselves growing a lot in the future, right? Uh, of course, we're going to uh, spark that uh, with other things, but, but, you know, word of mouth is key to us. And that's also what you see with all the successful players with product-led growth, Slack, Zoom, et cetera, right? Uh, they, they have amazing products, and that creates word of mouth, that creates... Uh, these viral effects so they get even more customers. I'm still curious, how, how are just the two of you able to do everything? Like, are, are you guys like just like, you know, ultra productive or you've just figured out a way to, to you know, decide that, you know, the 80-20, there's only, you know, a certain number of things you're going to focus on and say no to everything else? Like, how are you doing it? Yeah, I mean, you of course don't do everything, right? You say no to certain things. I mean, I don't have a partnership program or anything like that today. But I, you know, it is really about letting the product be the main driver for a lot of stuff, right? Like exactly that mindset that when you get a support ticket, you try to solve it via the product. So you avoid that support ticket going forward, right? It also helps that Sebastian is an amazing engineer and can build stuff extremely fast, right? So that, of course, helps us a lot but uh, in general it's that mindset around having the product as your main kind of uh, tool and actually what we see is they the customers they ask a lot of questions maybe in the beginning uh, when they do the trial right the free we have a two-week free trial but then after that they kind of go away and they build their stuff and they know what to do right because it's a good ux it's all and all the initial questions were answered and then we don't hear so much uh, from them again, and they still keep on renewing, right? So it's that that's ideally how you want it to be. So so you you don't have to spend significant amount of time. I think when you look at at least for me and like uh, products like Salesforce and so on as well, and Slack. I mean, I don't think they get a lot of. I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't been in their teams, but I've never written a support ticket to Slack, right? I've never written a support ticket to Zoom. Because they have great products, so I don't need to, right? I might need to write them about something I would like to purchase or some advanced scenario, but like for the baseline functionality, I don't really need to write them, right? Um, and I think that that is what categorizes a, a great product uh, is one where you can just use it and it's a no-brainer how you use it and so on. So who, who are your customers today and, and, and you know what's the mix? Like, for example, how many enterprise customers do you have? Just, just a percentage-wise. Yeah, so right. I mean, like like any other early stage SaaS business, we a majority of our customer base is SMB and SaaS, B, uh, SaaS B2B SMB, right? Um, that's kind of the the majority of our customers. But we have seen a, a couple of larger enterprises, uh, both in terms of like larger SaaS businesses where maybe one or two product teams are using it, right? Or uh, also larger traditional enterprises. So uh, like we all know, like uh, SaaS is um, is becoming a thing even for the traditional enterprise and they're building portals and platforms to interact with their customers. 
and they also need onboarding. So we we work with a couple of like larger traditional Fortune uh, 500 companies that are that have these kind of uh, platforms as well. And and then has the sales process for them for those larger customers been been different, or are they just going through and signing up? Yeah. So so we yeah it definitely has right. That's where. We often end up having a demo with them. The procurement process is also still a contract and so on, right? Um, so that is a di- different. But the way we handle it is basically we have three packages today, right? We have startup, we have pro, we have enterprise. And you can get more or less the same functionality in pro, but it's uh, online terms and credit card, right? So we really disincentivize the enterprise purchase, right? So we really want enterprises to think about, are you a truly enterprise, right? Uh, and many businesses, I think, especially like the size of like 200 employees, they sometimes end up thinking like an enterprise, even though they really shouldn't, right? And we try to push those type of kid business to think a bit less like an enterprise and maybe buy the, the credit card online terms package, right? And then have the true enterprises that really needs this kind of, lengthy procurement process and all this stuff go the enterprise route right so so that that's how we do that and then we of course to satisfy all the pro customers we make a lot of material available on our website like policy security policy you know all the kind of things they would need for the lengthy procurement process but it's all written by us right it's not something that has to be manually drafted so i think yes if we move more of market with the traditional enterprise, we would have to do more of this kind of demo and contract work, right? But but that's yeah, just a part of the game. Yeah, no, I like I like that. I I I'd never sort of come not come across that before, this whole idea of like trying to de incentivize yeah. customers and, and really think about do you really, really <laughs> need that? It sounds funny, right? Because yeah <laughs> wouldn't you like these big enterprise customers, but really what we want uh, we want a business that works at scale, right? And the more businesses we can try to work in a scalable fashion where they don't like need like heavy uh, kind of procurement cycles or anything like that, the better, right? Uh, that's easier for us. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, we should uh, wrap up, get on to the lightning round. So I've got uh, seven quick fire questions for you. So just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Yeah. All right, ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Stay focused. Uh, do do one thing uh, well uh, and stay focused on that. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? The product-led book by Wes Bush is a great book. Uh, it's a, It really gives a great intro to the whole product-led movement. Uh, so that's one I would recommend. Yep. And and I had Wes on the show a while back. So we, we kind of did, I can't remember which episode it was, just, just look it up, but we chatted yeah. about that. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Grit. I think you need to have a lot of grit, just keep going. And uh, there will be a lot of tough times, but you, you got to keep going. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I actually don't know. Uh, inbox zero. I'm very much an inbox zero kind of guy and I organize my inbox to be zero right so even though you get a lot of emails that i don't read they're all the right ones are structured in a way so it, it becomes inbox zero and i think for me at least to function and and be structured and, and make sure our customers get response on time i think that's super important um to kind of follow that uh, rule what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time <laughs> oh, crazy! I would. I mean, I don't know if this is crazy, but this is actually a, sh- a, sh- 
I'm looking for a CRM for product-led businesses. And I think that is something we need in the market. The era of uh, Salesforce is, I, I love everything Salesforce did for our industry and, and um, they've done so much amazing stuff, but their CRM is, is outdated when it comes to product-led sales motions. And we need something new in the market. And I think uh, I would love to see that. Uh, and I know there are a few early stage coming, but uh, let's see uh, what's, what's out there. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? <laughs> oh, man. So I uh, I actually lived in Tanzania from I was uh, until I was like three years old. Uh, so I've, I've been born global, you can say, even though I'm <laughs> Danish. Uh, so, and since then, I've, uh, you know, moved around in the world and now live in the in the bay area for, for the last eight years africa europe south america north america yeah. <laughs> that's great <laughs> uh, and, and what's uh, finally what's one of your most important passions outside of your work uh, so i do a lot of biking uh, i bike the beautiful nature here in uh, in, uh, in the bay area and also go to other places to bike and and, and like both biking and hiking and the nature awesome uh, so if people want to find out more about uh, Userflow, they can go to userflow.com yes. and uh, they can find Cobalt at cobalt.io. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way. So just connect with me. Yes, from Free Stenson. Yep. We'll include uh, a link to your profile in the show notes there. Perfect. It's been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me and uh, spending some time to chat about Userflow and Cobalt. I wish uh, you and Sebastian the best of success. And uh, thank you. I'm curious to to know how far you guys can go before you feel like you need to hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> before we hire someone. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Let's see. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure being on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. 
Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? Well, you're not alone. But the good news is you don't have to settle for slow growth. The right tools can be a growth game changer. And that's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This free guide cuts through the noise and shows you the 12 essential types of tools successful SaaS startups have used to get to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you find the perfect growth tools for your needs. So stop feeling stuck. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock the growth potential you've been missing. That's thesastoolkit.com.